Hi, everybody. I am Jordan Ostroff with Legalese Marketing, and this is Exhibit A Attorneys, where we interview attorneys and other experts across the country to talk about what it truly takes to be the Exhibit A of a successful attorney. Joining me today, Dan Wynn. If you have not had the opportunity to engage with Dan, he is not just hilarious, but also an excellent attorney. So if you don't know Dan, um, he is an attorney, speaker, and a two-time best-selling author. His practice focuses on serving entrepreneurs and businesses in the areas of LLC, corporation formation, trademarks, franchising, and monthly virtual in-house attorney membership services for select clients. He's the host of the Intentional Entrepreneur Podcast, and when he isn't with his family, he's trying to break 90 on the golf course. Uh, something I try as well, although right now I'd be happy to break 90 on nine holes, let alone 18 some of these days. So um, we are going to have Dan's um, contacts in here. So for anybody listening to this, his website is www.dxwin.com. That's N-G-U-Y-E-N. LinkedIn.com slash company slash my screens just shut off. So this is going to be interesting. Wait, they're coming back. I don't know if you can still see me or not. Um, hopefully that won't happen again. So LinkedIn.com slash company slash law office of daniel x period win with hyphens in between all that linkedin personal linkedin.com slash in slash dx win uh facebook.com slash l-o-d-x-n facebook.com slash dan x win and twitter.com slash dan x win esq and for those of you who are watching this show you will get that all in the comments the reading of it was just for those who are listening on the podcast because we got a couple complaints and that was totally rightfully so for those of you who are listeners and not watchers. So today we're going to be talking about making your mark, the best tips to protect your brand and build your brand with Dan. We're going to talk about that first from the marketing perspective, then from the legal perspective. But before we get into that, I want to talk about our uh, previous episode, the aftermath medical and legal challenges in the COVID age with Rachel Permuth and Vipul Kila who uh, unfortunately Vipul dropped in the middle of it and wasn't able to get back because of some technical issues. But we still had a really great chat about how you prove COVID, some concerns to have in court, things like that. And so that was a really great conversation. And I just lost my screens again. So I hope I am not dropping off even though I can't see anything. No, we're good. All right, they're, come, they're back now. So uh, enough about that before I have that issue again, which is a weird one to have, but it's um, Monday. So Lord knows technology hates Mondays just as much as Garfield. Dan, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show. Anything that you want to add to that bio? Um, yeah, so I have a pretty uh, active YouTube channel. So you can just search my name, Dan X Nguyen, and, and be an intentional entrepreneur. And so if you want to learn more about uh, trademarks, franchising, LLC, we had a bunch of videos there. So hopefully, you know, uh, your listeners can find it useful. Wonderful. And again, Dan has a personality and is awesome to talk to. He is not your normal stuffy attorney. Hence why we're having him on here. Um, I did have a question. So two-time best-selling author, what are the two books? Yeah, so the first one is, um, I think right here. Point that one. So this is, is actually on employment law for business owners. And so don't sue me. Uh, Love it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, what business owners should know about hiring, firing and keeping employees. So um, specifically tailored towards California law. But I think any 
business owner can take advantage of the general principles uh, in this book here. Uh, so that one hit um, bestseller status. And then this is the um, most recent book here, Making Your Mark uh, on Trademarks for Entrepreneurs as well. So uh, I've been lucky enough to, um, you know, have it sell well enough. Ah. Oh, sorry, man. Three off yeah. there. Yeah. So I'm, I mean, I'm, I've been lucky to have it well, sell well enough on Amazon uh, to hit um, bestseller status. So you know, uh, grateful for you know all the people who purchased the book and hopefully they received a lot of value out of it. Absolutely. So when we're talking about making your mark, the best tips to protect your brand, uh, we're talking about trademarks. Yes, we are. We are talking about trademarks. Correct. Okay, so what is a trademark versus a patent versus trade secrets versus whatever along those lines? Yeah, great question. And this is a very common question about, uh, you know, not just um, uh, from attorneys, but, you know, uh, non-attorneys and entrepreneurs as well. Is, you know, kind of think, I, I, I kind of like to give this example. Think about like patents for like, in, like inventions, right? Uh, anything that uh, you, know, you have found useful every day, um, those are usually protected by uh, by patents. Copyrights. Think about you know movies, music, books. Those are general uh, things that are protected by copyright law. And then slogans, names, um, even colors and sounds are protected by trademark law. So uh, you know BMW, um, you know the ultimate driving machine, just do it. Are very, uh, by Nike, very two popular slogans and two popular uh, company names that are protected by trademark law. Love it. And so in terms of the best tips to protect your brand, obviously one, buy Dan's book, Making Your Mark, and making your mark, and then two, hire him for any of the holes filled in. But for our listener watchers, any like three to five biggest tips? Yeah. So I like to say, uh, you know, trademarks are like, um, it's like asking yourself the question, when's the best time to plant a tree? And of course, if you know the answer to this question is the best time is, uh, you know, hundred years ago and the second best time is uh, is today and the reason why is um, uh, trademark law is kind of both in use meaning you know you do still have some rights by using the name exclusively in the marketplace but there is a, a greater uh, rights given when you have a, a federal registration and that clock starts generally when you when you file and hopefully when you receive the registration and so for a lot of companies or even entrepreneurs that want to protect their brand and want to build their brand, <clears throat> sometimes uh, sometimes trademarks is not on the high list of, uh, of priorities, right? It's usually about getting clients. And so um, uh, you should make sure that you try to make it one of your priorities because it can really bite you in the butt later on. I actually did have a client that we, um, you know, uh, she, she came to me and said, hey, I want to do this trademark. So we did kind of a quick and dirty search on the uh, United States Patent and Trademark because we found a very similarly confusing mark. And I said, hey, you know, I don't think we can get this. Um, but by this time, she had done the full grand opening. She had media day. She spent all the money. And so, um, you know, uh, she, she's at risk of, you know, infringing this particular mark um, and, and may have to change all that stuff down the road. But... Um, you know, you want to head all that stuff on the past. You want to do your due diligence, of course. But then when you when you are at the position to say, hey, I'm comfortable um, going forward with it, go and submit the application. And so um, uh, so that you get kind of get the clock started on, on your rights here. Is what is the most 
popular rebranding due to this issue? I mean, are there a bunch or is it more like we would have heard of the first company and not so much the second company that then had to do the rebrand? So, you know, it's, it's more, if I understand your question correctly, um, more about sometimes clients don't want to, they stick, kind of stick their heads in the sand sometimes, right? And they'll try to go as long as they can for, for, you know, not adjusting the issue, but rebrand, as you may know, it can get really expensive, right? And, you know, it's, it's, sometimes it's not a problem until it's a problem, but us as attorneys, you know, we'll, 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 we'll make it a, we'll try to make it a problem or at least try to adjust it before it becomes hard. But sometimes, you know, business owners have other priorities and then it becomes kind of, kind of too late and we can't really do anything. Um, you know, we, we can't, you know, we can't change the facts. Facts are the facts. So, you know, we try to soften the blow as much as possible or, or, or try to negotiate, but, um, you know, no way out of it if the other party has, has exclusive and exclusive rights to the name. So, but like, you know, I've heard examples of people did like a knockoff Jack Daniels book cover and then Jack Daniels, you know, paid for them to change it. I've heard examples where people um, like Dilly Dilly or they did something with Bud Light and then they did a whole thing on like a microbrew that they couldn't use that name. But like, is there, what's the most, is there a, a very popular well-known company that did a rebrand because of this issue or is it more like kind of these one-off stories that we hear? Yeah, to my knowledge, there's, there hasn't been one, you know, huge because usually it doesn't kind of get to that point, right? Usually okay. the, the rights owner kind of nips it in the bud. And that's one of the things business owners and, and actually trademark owners have to do is they, they have to make off police their own mark, right? They have to enforce their mark. Otherwise, they're going to lose they're going to lose certain rights in the name. And so, you know, those those particular ones, I, I think they're kind of clever on an entrepreneur sense, right? Because they kind of these play on words. And I think Jack Daniels, if you've read the cease and desist letter, is actually kind of even keeled or not quite as, you know, your traditional uh, attorney letter. And it went viral, I believe, on the internet. Um, but, you know, those are the ones you've just heard, right? Imagine all the ones that, you know, cease and desist letters are going out every day. And it's just imagine the ones that that um, that has forced the, 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 the business owner to change because of a threatening, uh, looming lawsuit against against them. So then, so basically it's more like kind of, um, you ever seen Monty Python's Life of Brian? It's been a long time. Okay. So yeah. it, it's a guy, it's, it's about a guy who's, I mean, it's a comedy, but it's about a guy who's right. born like 15 minutes after Jesus and like misses all the, the stuff from there. So it's, yeah. so it's more along those lines, like a name that we've never heard of because they were too late because somebody else got to it because somebody stopped them from it. it makes, makes a ton of sense. Right. Um, what, you know, you mentioned the federal registry along these lines. I mean, is there any benefit to registering at the state level or that's just uh, not as nearly as protected as you could be? Yeah, so certainly if you can get the federal registration, that's that's the best because that, that'll protect you at all 50 states. Uh, sometimes you're not qualified for it. So one of the things is, you know, you have to, what we call it interstate commerce. Basically what that means is you have to do business in another state where there's some kind of nuances to it, but that's kind of the general rule. So if you're purely a one, uh, only doing business in one state, but you have you have um, kind of expectations to expand, then what I would advise is the client kind of stake their claim into the state registry. That way, um, if there's any other uh, uh, parties trying to do uh, register the mark uh, later on, and if they're doing their own due diligence on a state level, they'll see your mark, and if, if you know, it really kind of depends on their risk tolerance, but 
uh, you know, if, if they're conservative, it says, hey, person in California has only a state registration. Uh, we're in Texas, but I don't, I don't want to risk it because you might just get every other state except for California, and then you're just going to have to change the name California. That's going to be a real pain in the butt for you. So let's just pick another name. So there is some value to a, to a state registration. Um, kind of more, more on to putting other people on, on notice, so to speak. Um, other, other ones, especially in California, where um, marijuana has become more legal than any particular state. So on the federal level, it's still technically illegal. So you can't get um, marijuana-related um, trademarks. But in California, since it's legal there, on a, I believe on a recreational level, you can still get state trademarks. So those are particular situations where state trademark still has some value when you can't get a state uh, federal registration. Very interesting. Actually, uh, just I was reading an article. I'm a big disc golfer. So they had an article yeah. about the, uh, PDG, the PDGA not approving any names that were based off of famous marijuana strains. I guess that had been a thing you know, 20 years ago because disc golf was for hippies, I guess, yeah. then. I don't know. Anyways, it was a very interesting thing to go through and see the difference of like what's okay in one area versus not in the other. It makes total sense from the uh, marijuana side. So anything else along the lines from the legal side you want to make sure we cover before we switch over into that sort of more marketing side of how you build a brand, how you make it worth it? Yeah. So I think, you know, it's a good segue in, into the, uh, into the um, marketing side. So, you know, we talked about when's the best time to apply for a trademark too. So a lot of people don't know that you can apply for a trademark even when you're not using the name yet. And this is where a lot of business owners um, kind of get hung up is that, hey, I'm, I'm not ready yet. You know, it's kind of like the LLC, even the LLC conundrums, hey, I'm not in business yet and I don't want to form this, which can, at some point it's understandable. But uh, for business owners, entrepreneurs, they can file a what's called an intent to use 1B application. And uh, it still goes through the rigors of a regular application, but if, it's, if it um, passes, essentially passes, you get what's called basically a conditional approval. Right, and you have about three years to bring the name or slogan or whatever you protected to the market. Now, the benefit is that um, you're, we call it priority date. Basically, when did you when 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 does your right to use the name start? Generally speaking, those are usually um, you know when you first started using the name in a particular state. But with a with an intent to use application, that date actually starts on the date of your intent to use application. So for a lot of business owners, it turns back the clock on terms of rights. Wait, it can up to about three years, and so um, if if business owners, uh, attorneys have a um, bona the legal standards bona fide intent to use the name, then go ahead and put in an application for one B because that really starts the clock for you. And it's, if you get it, it it's puts it locks your place in line, and stops essentially stops all other people using a same or similar name or applying for a same or similar name, and then you can start enforcing your rights against others. So now I'm going to have to make my second obscure reference of the day. Uh, Chuck Polinick has a book about, not about that, but that's part of it. There's like a company that trademarks all of these names for like cure for cancer drugs that don't exist yet or whatever. And then throughout the entire book, the guy's like, oh, and then I took, you know, five pills of my cure for cancer. I don't remember which book that was. It was the one where he, the guy sees the future and gives the Super Bowl uh, score in the halftime show. But I don't know, maybe somebody will jump in and help us out. Regardless, enough about my obscure, uh, I don't know, literary or pop culture references. Um, none of this really matters in my standpoint. 
unless you're going to do something, you know, do something with it. You're going to build the brand. You're going to grow the company. You're going to sell these things across the whole country. You really want to create something out of it. And so I think you've done a phenomenal job really diving into, you know, some sort of free advice, knowledge, wisdom along those lines to get people to hire you for the services. And so maybe I think it's helpful to talk about your journey a little bit more in terms of growing your practice. Yeah. So, um, uh, this December, I'll celebrate 16 years uh, as an attorney, and then 14 years uh, on my own. I started off doing, uh, actually started working for a, a trade, patent and trademark attorney, so that's kind of how I cut my teeth on it. Uh, and then um, I went to work for a business transaction attorney, doing some healthcare law, did some civil litigation. And then um, two years later, I opened up my own practice and trying to focus solely on um, you know, entity formation and contracts and things like that. But what I was finding that uh, was that um, a lot of my business clients kept asking me for trademark help. And so um, then uh, several years after that, I made a concerted effort to make it a part of my, you know, bigger part of my practice. And, um, you know, um, luckily I've had a lot of mentors in the area to, to help me and, and continue to help me. But how I've been able to grow my own practice is one, um, certainly all the videos on, on YouTube. So, you know, any of your listeners uh, get a chance to go onto my YouTube playlist. I have like over 50 videos um, on, on YouTube, just, just on trademarks alone. Uh, and then I was able to uh, spend some time. I wrote a book, which you mentioned before. So that book has helped, helped a lot. And to me, it's been kind of like the 24 hour salesman, so to speak, both YouTube and the book. Right. And so um, that that's helped a lot. And, you know, just giving out, you know, giving out free advice um, through, through these particular mediums has helped help, helped a lot in um, in growing my practice. So most incidentally enough, most of my practice has been <clears throat> by by referral only, and so um, these still these these uh, particular um, information, the books and the and the website and the YouTube um, has been great for um, you know I, I've give I've given copies of the book to my referral partners. Is hey anyone who wants you know that's a client of yours. I'm happy to give out a copy, um, you know, as a as a gift from you to them. And then what the what YouTube has allowed me to do is, um, you know, solidify my expertise in those particular areas. So they'll see my book, they'll see my website, uh, but once they see my YouTube, this is oh, you know, he kind of kind of knows what he's talking about. And so, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully they hire me. Breezy, I love it. I was just going to ask you to pull the YouTube channel. So now the link to the YouTube channel is in the comments here um, i'm not going to read it off because it's youtube gobbledygook but uh suffice it to say go just pull up the website or pull up the uh facebook page or search for dan on youtube so i want to break down what you said because there was a ton of great knowledge in that so you spent a couple years before you open your own practice um working for other people do you find that like if you could go back in time to that day would you have opened your firm sooner wow that's that's really tough because i did learn a lot working for those other people. And I would say I, I had, I was fortunate to work for a lot of smaller firms. So I, I was kind of in the weeds of not just, you know, client work, but also some administrative stuff. Right. Um, so I, would I have done it over again? Would I have gone sooner? Uh, it, for me, it's kind of hard to say again, cause I, I learned so much, um, you know, hindsight, obviously 2020. So, you know, with the knowledge I have now, I can open up my practice if I was, Still coming out of out of law school, um, but everyone's got their own path, right? Everyone's um, learned learns differently, and so um, you know, uh, don't regret anything you've done in the past. Just 
think of it as a, you know, as a learning or a stepping stone to what you want to do. But it sounds like though, you took a lot out of those prior jobs, not just the legal side of it, but a little bit more of that business savvy, a little bit more of that administrative knowledge. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things about, um, working in those jobs is, and if you, if, if listeners are looking to kind of go out on their own is you have to be intentional about the work that you're doing, not just, not just the, the, the legal work, but what are you looking to learn to take to the next, the next one? Like one of my mentors said, it was not so much about, um, going out on his own, but it's more about his learning style. It's like, Hey, I took every case that I could, could, could take cause I want to learn so much. Right. And so I think if someone comes in that particular attitude and not just taking every single case, but you know, what more do you want to learn out of the particular situation you are, then you have a better understanding when you want to open up your own practice or your own business. And so you've talked a lot about working with business owner clients. Is there a reason for that? Like, is there a reason why you, you determined that to be your ideal client? Was it what you know? Was it what you wanted to do? Did you always know that was going to be your path? I, I've always knew it was going to be a path, but for some reason, I don't know why. <laughs> um, okay. So I was a, I was a business major in college and I, I, I went uh, straight from, from college to law school. Uh, one thing I would do if I would look back, I would probably take in a gap year. I think I would have appreciated law school much better. Um, had I maybe worked for a year or two, uh, you know, getting some real world experience. Um, but with that being said, um, when I, when I was kind of finishing up my last year of college and, you know, um, our last semester, we had classes full of seniors. And so the professor would say, all right, you know, what are your plans for next year? Right. Things like that. So I said, Hey, you know, I'm planning to go to law school. I plan on focusing on working business, um, business owner stuff and grow their business. Um, mainly for, for, because I was a business major, but I, I, you know, obviously at that time, I didn't know exactly how I was going to do it until, um, I got into the weeds of, of doing it. And, um, and as a business owner myself now, right, I can relate to a lot of the things that, uh, that they're going through. And so I think that's where um, I, I exercise a lot of leverage um, in helping my clients is, uh, yeah, they hire me to help them with the legal stuff, but when there's opportunity and when, when they need it, then I'll provide them with some business counseling and, have them kind of uh, um, understand a little bit more, you know, decision uh, part of the decision making process. It's interesting because I don't, I don't mean to demean the job of business consultants, but I have found that like at the highest level, everything you do has that little bit of business consulting in it. Like we are telling people, look, this marketing idea is never going to work. Let's not even bother trying it. You're telling them, look, you know, there's this little bit part of your business that's going to totally tank the, what we're setting up or what we're doing along those lines. And so, you know, I don't, I say that not to demean uh, business consultants, but instead to explain the benefit of having that knowledge base for really everything. Um, the other thing you talked about was being very referral based. So do you have like a, an ideal referral source that you're going after? Do you have people that have specific jobs or titles or engage with business owners that you're trying to get in front of more frequently? Yeah. So that's actually one of the things I'm working on this year is how to really dial in my referral, um, my, my referral business. Um, it, there hasn't really been any one particular, uh, you know, if I were to kind of generalize, obviously other attorneys that don't do this particular, uh, these areas of law, but get a lot of referrals. So I actually have one 
great referral partner who um, uh, he gets a lot of uh, uh, SEOGs on you know business law, but uh, he doesn't do business law. He did it for a little bit, and then now he narrowed his practice to uh, estate planning. And so he sends me a lot of referrals. Um, and um, CPAs are obviously a good choice, uh, you know, good source of business for us. And so we try to maintain those relationships. And so, um, but um, you know, thank you for asking that question. That's one of the things we're working on this year is really dialing in on who our essentially dream referral, uh, you know, uh, a, a dream referral partner is. And so we can really harness the power of, of pre-qualified leads and how their, uh, spheres, their sphere of influence, so to speak, um, in referring us business. See, and you get that same meta bonus that we get is in essence, your ideal referral source for business owners are business owners that you could also help with your legal knowledge. Whereas for us, they're business owners so we can help with the marketing side. So do you find yourself having a lot of crossover between clients and referral sources or not so much? Um, can you rephrase your question? Sure. So like, it's one thing, you know, I always thought it was funny. I started out as a criminal defense attorney when I first opened my practice. I was a prosecutor. That's what I knew. And it was hilarious because I was meeting with all these other professionals and other attorneys. And I was like, look, you're never going to need me unless you get like a DUI or there's a domestic thing or it's complete and utter BS. But then as we switched over into at least the marketing side, not again, same issue on the, my personal injury law firm, but from the marketing side, I'm always like, look, here's what I'm seeing in marketing. Like this will help you what we focus on attorneys. But when I'm talking to, you know, a lawyer coach, they're doing marketing to lawyers. When I'm talking to a, um, a, a courtroom report, court reporting company, they're doing marketing for attorneys. And so there's a ton of crossover where it's like, Hey, look, here's some great insight for you. We could be a client of yours. We can send our clients to you, whatever it is along those lines. Do you find that same overlap between like doing the business and trademark stuff and trying to connect with other businesses that are going to come across your ideal clients? Yeah, I think there's some, cause you know, just by the very nature of my particular practice area. Right. And so, you know, it's, 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 um, it's a very natural progression, uh, be, between the two. And like you said, overlap. So certainly, you know, there's, there's a lot of, um, um, uh, room for, to go in either direction. And so, you know, I think that's one of the things I really like about my particular practice here and the businesses uh, and my clients that I serve, because there's, there is a lot of, um, opportunity to do a, kind of a wide range in a short area, so to speak. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and so when, so you talked about, and then you talked about the books and the YouTube channel, which are like your 24 hour salesperson. And I'm assuming there's also an element of those that is helpful with your referral sources. I know you're giving them the book, but ultimately like, look, people want to know you, they want to like you and they want to trust you. And do you find that the books and the YouTube channel and the videos and the content helps them trust you to be a great fit for their referrals as well? Yeah. So the, the videos allow me to show off my personality, right? So obviously not every referral is a great fit. So if a referral partner, if, if we're, if we're kind of new in the relationship, right. And they want to kind of investigate, you know, who I am and how I treat my clients and what my demeanor is like they can use those videos and see how, you know, I talk on the videos and, and how I approach things without me spending another two hours with them or three hours with lunch or coffee. Right. So I, I love the, love the thing, you know, um, evergreen content and how I can leverage, uh, leverage technology. So I, I, I use those things so that, um, usually as a kind of a, on top, like 
with referral partners, you know, usually we have to meet or at least talk and talk um, over the phone or by Zoom at least one time, right? But all those other things um, really support and set my uh, my um, myself being as an authority figure in the particular subject. And so, um, so yeah, those those two things absolutely help a lot. And I've, I've been reading. Um, I just finished reading a book by Dan Kennedy about, um, you know, uh, no BS brand building. And one of the things he says is like, hey, if you think newsletters is a good, um, writing a book will skyrocket you in terms of authority to um, in your particular field. So when you're sitting down to create this content, when you're shooting the videos for the YouTube, when you sit down to write, you know, maybe book number three, mm -hmm. that comes in the works. Are you, do you have certain videos geared towards referral sources and certain videos geared towards clients, or do you kind of overlap those into the same videos or the same content? Yeah. So I, I don't have any particular targeted, um, you know, targeted any particular way. Uh, for me, it's actually just being more consistent and, and putting out as much content as I can. Now, now that's not to say, I think at a particular time I'll have targeted, particularly targeted videos. Um, to referral partners versus, you know, new clients or potential clients. Um, but at this time, it's more about just volume and being consistent out there. So when it comes to that either new law firm owner or that law firm owner who's really beginning that journey to grow a real practice, to start the marketing, whatever that looks like for them, do you have any guidance, insight, wisdom for them? Yeah, yeah. So um, if I were to start all over again, and, um, and, and start a new firm. I would actually start with a strategy called the Dream 100. So, um, you know, uh, if you're not familiar with Chet Holmes, he was kind of a big sales person back a couple of, uh, many years ago, but he wrote the book called The Ultimate, uh, Ultimate Sales Machine. And uh, the story goes is that, you know, he, um, uh, he was working for a magazine that was in the bottom of the industry. And what he did was target the top 100 advertisers in their particular industry. And then he, he just went after them. And within six months, they were in the top three uh, in, in the industry. And so the, how you can apply this as, as a new lawyer is, um, you know, target your top 100 referral partners, right? Whether, you, uh, you know, if you're personal injury, probably chiropractors or other, even other attorneys. Um, if you're a business owner, right, CPAs, um, other, other maybe insurance partners, but pick the top 100 and then just go after them and set up a referral relationship with them. Now, you know, one of the downsides as attorneys and, you know, I, I feel for you guys in Florida because there's no referral fee, uh, you know, while over here we can give pure referral fees. So if I send out, you know, a referral out to a friend of mine in California, he can pay me a referral fee and I'll do have any work. My understanding in Florida, there's, like you can't even pay referral fees if I'm correct. There's a couple ways to go about it, but it's it's awkwardly limited, even more so than the model rules. You, know, you right. can't give anybody anything of value for recommending you for a case. Even you know a nice bottle of wine to another attorney is technically uh, unethical and whatnot along those lines. Yeah, so we have to play with you know under the rules that we're given, right? And so this is kind of where I envy kind of non-attorneys because especially non-regulated or unlicensed because this is kind of the wild wild west for you know referrals and uh, uh, finders fees and commissions and all that um, but if you dial it incorrectly uh, dial it incorrectly then you know you can spend no money in advertising using you know the dream 100 strategy so 
um, I would uh, I would look into that and then implement it for for my firm if I were to give advice to a new firm owner. And so I love that, especially at the beginning. You know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of starting a law firm with referrals, and not that you necessarily move away from referrals, but you transition to supporting those referrals with the YouTube channel, with the books, with you know the other marketing that comes along those lines. Did you have a specific reason for adding those to the referrals you're already getting? Or was that just kind of, that was what you liked? You liked writing, you liked shooting the videos. Can you walk me through that process a little bit? Yeah, so I've obviously wanted to write a book and I, I started writing my first book. Oh, wow, maybe like five or five years ago, maybe seven years ago, and I never got it done. Um, but I, I finally kind of, uh, bit the bullet and focused and, and, and get it done and so that's that was the first book um that was the first book um uh don't sue me and so um that book is certainly i use it for again re referral partners but uh, send it out to potential clients too um where you know i if you look if you notice it you it kind of stands out in my background right as opposed to all the other books and it's on purpose i made the uh, i made the book cover yellow on purpose because um, one, when was the last time you threw away a book someone gave you? Pretty never, right? Never, right? Uh, when was the last time you threw away a business card someone gave you? All the time. This All morning, the time. on the, on, <laughs> I found one in my desk that I don't know when I got it, and it went in the trash. Right. So, uh, so typically people tend not to throw away throw away books. Um, and then I made it really bright because I wanted to stand out on someone's book uh, bookshelf. So when they needed um, needed help. Uh, they know they could find it really easy. And I was like, oh, what is that book? I can't remember the name. So that's my particular strategy for uh, uh, for writing books. And I can tell you how it, it worked recently. I was introduced to uh, a potential client uh, probably about a year ago. Okay. And at that time, they didn't tell me they weren't ready. I kept following up. They kept ignoring me. But kind of early on in the relationship, um, I sent them a copy of my book. And so I know it's sitting on their shelf. And about a year later, they reached out back to me and say, I'm ready to do a trademark. And so, did they, you know, did they tell you they had read the book or did they tell you they just still had the book? Um, for that particular client, uh, I know they said they, they, they had the book. I can't remember if they told me if they read the book. Um, okay. And so, um, but you know, the, the purpose of it served was obviously just for them to call me. Right. It, it helps if they read the book. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, the real, the real goal is for them to pick up the phone and say, hey, I'm ready to move forward. Oh, no, absolutely. And it, it's funny to me because I've, I've heard just as many success stories of I had your book sitting on my uh, dresser for six months. And I never opened it. And finally, I was like, screw it. You take my money. You do what's in the book. I'm never going to read it. Just as much as I've heard, they're like, oh, I read your book and realized, you know, you had to be the one that I went to. And so um, don't underestimate the impact of them not reading the book as a sales pitch just as much as them reading the book as a, as of the sales process right right sometimes you know they'll read the book and say hey this is way too complicated just do it for me <laughs> no absolutely yeah. yeah so as we get towards the end of here anything else you want to make sure we cover when it comes to um, protecting your brand from the legal side or building your brand up from the marketing side yeah no i think we covered uh you know um the, the biggest thing right on on the on the um the marketing side is you know apply as, as, as soon as you can. Um, here's the thing about trademarks that most, nearly all, all attorneys won't tell you, um, tell business owners, you know, and it's very understandable from the business owner's point of view. 
it's not something that will make money for you right away, right? It's not it's not like buying ads where you can where you can calculate the return on ad spend or return on investment, right? So so a lot, I understand why a lot of business owners are kind of hesitant to like, hey, this is not going to put another dollar in my pocket or at least another calcul calculable dollar in my pocket. But I, I usually share the story with them is, you know, um, um, one of my clients came to me and they said, hey, we want to buy this other trademark uh, and we want to pay. They, they, they were willing to pay um, about five figures for it, right? And... And it was, I think it was right at that point where I said, hey, this, this is why trademarks are valuable, right? Yeah, there's, there's the business protection part of it. But if you're, if, you're, if you're doing business right and you have an exit plan, you know, selling the IP is part of, it has value in the, in the exit. And usually there will be, you know, there's a goodwill, goodwill line item sometimes on, on, on a purchase. And so that is really the value that, that it can increase the value of your business um, by, by getting a trademark. You can license it, right? Um, you know, we're talking about old movies. Um, I was doing a presentation about um, uh, monetizing trademarks. And I shared this clip about if you've seen Spaceballs and it's yogurt, you know, hey, mer merchandising, right? Uh, lunch pail. And then there's the flamethrower at the end, right? Yep. So, and the toilet so, paper. And, yeah. The toilet paper, right? Right. So you can, you know, business owners and uh, attorneys, it's not really their fault, but they're kind of short sighted into maximizing the value of, of, of a trademark. Right. So you can um, you can really monetize your trademarks if you if you do it right. But you remember, you still have to lay the foundation. You still have to build, build a big brand. Um, if I could if I could recommend a book besides my own book, but, you know, I just finished this. So I, I, want, I do want to share it. It's, you know, you're not a fan of Dan Kennedy. Um, I am. He's not for everyone because he's kind of kind of blunt. <laughs> I am. I am only not a fan of Dan Kennedy because of his personal feelings that he shared at a uh, a large lawyer function. I do think his marketing knowledge is great. I just uh, I'll leave it at that. Based yeah. Upon I, what he said. Uh, personal things aside, I think I think he's you know he's obviously he's a, he's well known as a mark you know. Um, my marketing genius, I guess, right? His, you know, his methodology, uh, you know, is very is generational, right? Um, but if you're if you're a business owner, I think pick up this book because it it shows you how to how to build a brand, um, and the specific methods that, that they use. And I think um, I'm gonna kind of take some of these concepts and share them with my 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 clients because it's it's worth it's worth sharing to them and how they can, you know, not just, uh, you know, it'll help them, <laughs> help them absorb the, you know, the couple grand they just spent, you know, having me get a trademark and like, or how do I make my money back? Um, but, um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, you got to start early and then, you know, start, you got to protect it. Right. So you got to police your trademarks and then, uh, you know, find out how you can cash in on it, whether through licensing or franchising. Uh, or some other particular deal. Love it. All right. So our next episode, for those of you that have loved Dan's wit, uh, insight, next, no, not next week, later this week, Thursday at 1.30, we're going to have Wendy Witt on. Wendy's going to talk about how you design your dream life as a lawyer. For those of you who don't know Wendy, she is awesome, one. 
uh, but two, have gotten into some wonderful arguments with, uh, let's go with a-hole attorneys that did not prioritize, I don't want to say didn't prioritize their own lives, certainly didn't prioritize the lives of their employees, their associates, etc. And so Wendy truly walks the walk, and I am delighted to have her on on Thursday at 1.30 Eastern time to talk about designing your dream life as a lawyer. Uh, with that being said, though, Dan, I'm not going to let you go without your final takeaway. So to that new business owner, new law firm owner or law firm owner finally ready to make the mark on running a true business instead of just having a job, what is your diamond nugget of wisdom? What is your biggest, most important takeaway for them so that they too can become the exhibit A of a successful attorney like you and I? Yeah, um, learn how to delegate right away for a very long time. You know, I, I was thinking more as a lawyer and not a business owner until I finally hired my first assistant. And I've been able to be more productive, be more efficient, and make more money by having it. People, a lot of people think it's going to cost you more money. Um, yes, you know, money's going to go out the door, but if you do it right, you're going to bring so much more money in and focus just on revenue producing activities. So learn how to delegate as fast as you can. I love that so much. Yes, it's like, Lawyers, I, I have heard people complain about the, you know, 10, 15, 20 bucks an hour. And then you sit down and you're like, the last time you went to lunch with somebody, how much money did you make? And they're like, oh, you know, five grand. All right. The last time you did this, how much money did you make? All right. 10 grand. I got two cases from that. I got a case from this. I got here. Great. So now imagine if for those 15, you know, $15 an hour, 20 bucks an hour, you had that much more time to get the five and $10,000 cases. And they're like, all right, it finally clicks. So I love that you shared that. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And to anybody listening who is struggling through this process, we do have our Lawyer Marketing 101 course. You can find that at marketmylawfirm.com. That'll go into a lot of the stuff that Dan and I talked about today as it comes to creating your ideal client, looking at where they're going to be, figuring out the platforms, uh, hammering out referral sources, coming up with you know ways to build a relationship with referral sources, etc. So marketyourlawfirm.com, Lawyer Marketing 101. And again, thank you so much for being here today, Dan. All right, my pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Exhibit A Attorneys. If you're interested in becoming the Exhibit A of successful attorney, please check us out at LegalEaseMarketing.com, E-A-S-E.